Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calagares, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics with one of my favorite guests. That's right. Rich Schroeder is back with us to share more of his insights on win-loss. Rich is the founder of Anova Consulting Groups. He's a recognized thought leader, sought-after speaker, and, and author of the McGraw-Hill book, From a Good Sales Call to a Great Skills Call. But more than anything, he is a passionate believer in the power of win-loss. Welcome back, Rich. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca, for having me on the show. And uh, I, I'm thrilled that I'm one of your favorite guests. That's, uh, that's awesome. I'm uh, proud to be one. So Excellent. thanks for having me here. No, it's, it is honestly my pleasure every time you join us. So give me a little bit of background about you, Rich, how you got into win-loss and, uh, and kind of how you see that field overall. Sure. Uh, and um, yeah, just again, by way of introduction, my name is Rich Schroeder. I'm founder and president of Anova Consulting Group. Uh, we're a market research firm uh, that really just does three things, win-loss, churn analysis, and client sat. And uh, I started the company 15 years ago. And prior to that, I was a part owner in another firm that did similar win-loss work that I helped to get started in 1997. Uh, and so I've been doing win-loss work since the late 90s, believe it or not. And um, I think we talked a little bit last time, you know, when, when I first started my career doing win-loss, you know, people didn't really know what it was. So it's come a long way since then. Uh, so just a passionate believer in, in win-loss. And I know we're going to be talking a lot about that today. Awesome. All right. So like you said, on the last podcast, we talked about sort of the future of win-loss looks like. Can you just take a few minutes to bring the audience up to speed to what we covered there and what you're, you see as the big picture items? Sure. I guess we're picking up where we left off. I know we touched on this a little bit last time, but, um, you know, it's, it's really changed a lot uh, win-loss over the last, I would say, three to five years. As I just referenced before, when I started, uh, over 20 years ago, uh, people didn't know what it was. Uh, you would you would talk to people about it, and they were like, "Oh, tell me more about that." Like we've never heard of that before. Uh, it didn't have a, a home within a lot of companies. Nobody knew where to house this type of research, and nobody really understood, you know, what it was or whether it was it would work. You know, fast forward to today, uh, we've really seen the landscape change, uh, and and part of it is pr probably because of the fine efforts of pragmatic marketing. But it's it's changed now from you know what is this to okay, we get it now. Uh, it's no longer about why win loss. Now it's about well, how do we do it? Uh, so that's really a, a big change. So um, so more and more we're hearing about companies implementing programs and trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, so it's a little bit less about educating people about what it is, and now it's about how to do it. And there's a number of factors that are kind of uh, you know, really challenging uh, this next level. Uh, the first one is just this kind of this pilot concept uh, is one that's thrown around a lot. So, you know, people uh, decide they want to do this and they say, well, let's do a pilot program. Um, and they try to do a kind of a bite-sized program and stuff. And, you know, when I first started to uh, work with companies around the pilot program and here at Innova, we first started to do this, you know, it's always a little bit uh, scary because we're trying to figure out what are they trying to pilot. And as I've done this more, I'm realizing it's less and less about the vendor or the the, the concept of win-loss. It's more about how does the company, it's really piloting the company's ability to take feedback, uh, to understand how to get it, to get the data, 
to set up systems and routines to, to make sure it's institutionalized, to get people engaged with it. So I think that's really kind of uh, the turning point where, again, people are saying now, okay, I get it, I need to do it. They cobble together some budget, they do a pilot, and that's where we're kind of sitting right now. There's a lot of companies piloting win-loss programs, uh, but there's fewer companies that are really making them into what they can be and making them completely successful uh, by integrating them uh, totally. Does that make sense, Rebecca? I think that's really where we are in the marketplace right now. A lot of pilot programs going on. And, and I think, uh, to your point, the advantage of the pilot program is it, it feels less scary to them. It's easier to nibble, but I would think the disadvantage is that the um, the big rewards with win-loss sometimes come from the repetition and the longer-term uh, sort of feedback that you get. Yeah, and I think that, you know, and, and that takes time, um, you know, because it's not just uh, a three- or six-month pilot program doesn't give the company enough time to really understand what the benefits are. It can take a long time. I think this is another thing where we're at right now is, this, we talked about this a little bit last time, this integration of really making sure that you're getting the data and the feedback loop and the decision-making more broadly indoctrinated across the company. A lot of times a pilot will be run by product marketing um, and uh, it's sort of housed in one area of the company, uh, but that's not enough. Uh, you know, it has to be more broadly disseminated and I think that's kind of the next, uh, the future of win-loss is how, how to help your, you know, the people you're educating uh, and our clients better understand how to use win-loss more broadly around their company so that they can get to the value and unlock the power and to make the better strategic decisions. When it's siloed in one division or one area, um, it, that's not enough. Win-loss is for a lot of different areas, sales, competitive intelligence, market research, product development, product management, product marketing. Uh, C-suite uh, types of buyers, sales enablement, sales ops, sales training are all, when you think about it, uh, valid consumers of that. And I would say most companies don't have a kind of full integration across all of those levels. And that's really where, you know, programs become successful when they become more indoctrinated. And I would think to your point, it's often product marketing that brings it in, but I would also suspect mm -hmm. that the sooner they can get that sort of broader um, involvement, broader understanding, and broader buy-in, the better. So how do you recommend yeah. that they do that? We've really been changing our approach. You know, uh, historically, over the last 10 years, if we were hired by a product marketing buyer, um, you know, uh, a lot of times they would want to own it themselves and, uh, you know, not uh, kind of introduce us to a more broader audience at the company, or they might think that they can go it alone. So we've at Innova have been doing a lot more work to educate clients and prospects in the community. We've done a lot of WebEx work to kind of uh, start to change the discussion really up front by being able to say, look, if you're a product marketing person that's cobbled together some budget or, or somebody came down from somewhere that they want to do in loss, because a lot of times senior executives support this and they may throw budget at it, but it kind of stops there and they, 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 they move on to the next thing. So we've been trying to really educate product marketing more about, you know, you've really got to get your sales team involved early. And by early, I mean, in the decision-making process, the survey design process, you've got to use that as an interface. And there is a lot of hesitancy. I'm sure, you know, in the marketing product marketing area, there's kind of that, I don't want to call it tension, but there's kind of that natural friction between sales and product marketing. 
that exists in many companies where the sales team saying, well, I can't sell the product because of, of these three features and the product marketing uh, or the product management suite is saying, well, you know, maybe it's a sales issue. We do have this stuff or is it the way that you're articulating it? So there's that certain amount of friction in there. And I think win loss can really help to alleviate that. Um, however, it, it, if you get caught in the middle and there's ping, finger pointing, that's not what you want. So you really need sales and product marketing to come together around win loss and support it in totality and, and be able to use it as, as kind of a yardstick of, of what needs to happen. Very challenging to do though, and, and has to be done up front, uh, in my humble opinion, because if you do it later in the game, it can kind of fall apart. And I think you've had some experiences with that yourself, right? In, in companies you've worked for, I think we talked about that last time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think to your point, you have to get it up front because once, so there's always tension as to why, why sales doesn't happen. I mean, in some people's mind, it, feels like, <laughs> it should be like a hundred percent, you know, closed, closed one rate, which is never the case. Uh, and there's always some like, well, why didn't this one go? And why didn't this one go? And if they're not, if everyone's not involved up front, then they will assume that the results, the firm, the questions they asked, the things were done with a point of view in mind, right? That, right. hey, I had yep. these people do a bunch of interviews to prove that my point of view was correct. If they're involved in the yep. beginning, and it, then it much more feels like, hey, we're looking to jointly discover what is going on and work together to figure it out. And it, it just totally changes the way that those results are heard. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the natural inclination we've seen uh, from really any buyer is to kind of go it alone. You know, if, if, if you don't educate the consumer or the, you know, the, the person that we're doing the work for about these kind of things, and I think people are open to them, you know, their natural in indication is let's get going. You know, I'll, I'll find the data, <laughs> let's design the survey. You know, uh, their natural in inclination isn't to say, well, let me bring uh, four or five stakeholders to the table and make sure that they're getting this, um, you know, understanding what we're doing, who we're working with, all of those things. Because obviously that's, that's a, it takes more time and it's, it's a lot harder. So there's no shortcuts here is I think what we're trying to say. Um, you got to get everybody to the table to make sure that uh, what they're getting is right. And, every, and you're right, everybody has their own confirmation bias. So, you know, a product marketing person uh, can help design a survey for sure, but a survey is going to be better designed if you get all sorts of areas uh, influencing the, the survey as opposed to just focusing on, you know, things that a product marketer want, may want to focus on. Not to say that they're wrong, it's just there's a lot more value that can be unleashed when you, when you integrate it more broadly at a company. So we talked about common mistakes, right? We talked about pilot programs and not really setting yourself up for success by giving yourself enough time. We talked about sort of going it alone and not bringing all the, all the rest of the organization in with you. Are there any other mm -hmm. sort of big pitfalls or common mistakes that you want to tell people right now? So as they're getting ready to start, hey, don't do this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've hit on a lot of them. I think the only other one that comes to mind and again, there's, there's, there's always many, uh, is I would say, don't, don't rely too much on technology. You know, another thing that's really changed in the last five to seven years is kind of more of this reliance on a dashboard, uh, and technology to kind of supply, uh, you know, data and analytics and program management. I think dashboards are awesome for program management and being able to get, you know, people that fingertip feel, a pulse of what's going on and that real-time sense, uh, and they're fantastic. And, and, you know, we have 
we we invest a lot of money every year to keep our dashboards up um, to to be state of the art. That said, we've found that you know nothing replaces kind of the good old fashioned reporting and making a presentation, bringing people together, hopefully in a room in person, and going through the results in aggregate. Uh, you know, um, and bringing the senior management team together to to look at the data um, collectively for a good hour, hour and a half session. Again, hard to do, right? It's not always something people want to do. What we found, especially on the sales side, sales heads of sales, they will, they don't tend to use dashboards. You know, you kind of need to get them engaged. Um, and so I think that's the other thing is uh, not trying to rely at least solely on a dashboard technology solution. It, it's a lot more broad than that. You need the reporting, you need the presentations, obviously the transcripts as well. So that's another common pitfall that we see. Or just thinking that they only need the interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain cases where a, a company, uh, it makes sense if it's really low volume and they're high value deals. You know, each interview transcript is valuable onto itself. Um, and so there's certain situations, but for most companies, you need a way, an aggregation source to pull it together. And you need someone to walk you through the results. Uh, because I think otherwise you go back to that thing we just talked about before. Everybody kind of comes up with their own results <laughs> and looks at the data their own way, as opposed to having a qualified third party coming into a company and saying, this is what the data is saying. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think you're spot on that it's absolutely a combination of qualitative and quantitative that makes win-loss powerful. You need the context, you need the the stories, you need the color that comes with that. That alone is dangerous, right? If you're just sharing anecdotes, then that's that's not really data. Um, so when you can right. combine that with sort of the data of the overall, you know, here's all of the win-loss pieces that we've seen, and maybe even supplement that with some you know, if you do already NPS surveys or something else, but it's that combination that makes it so powerful and really such an accurate view of what's going on. One side doesn't tell the whole right. story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of companies, you know, another common mistake is trying to boil the ocean or trying to do too much up front. Uh, you know, we really recommend, especially when you're starting out, get focused, you know, focus on one region or focus on the U S you know, or, or, a territory or a specific product or service or solution um, and get going that way. I think, you know, pilots are fine, but it's the approach to the pilot, you know, that, that always is concerning of um, because again, as you know, it takes a long time for a company to learn how to do win loss. Um, it can take years and uh, nobody wants to hear that, but <laughs> it was, Rome wasn't built in a day. And again, I said, I said, no shortcuts. No, and there are no shortcuts. And I know one of the things that you guys do um, that we do is we call it eating our own dog food, which I found out recently Mm -hmm. does not necessarily translate well to all of our international listeners. So that means (laughs) that we uh, practice what we teach, right? That whatever we teach, we also try to put in place (laughs) to our own company. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I know you guys do that with Anova, right? And win loss there. So tell me a little bit about that just, you know, kind of, it's one thing when you teach other people how to do it, but how does it work when you guys turn that inward and do win-loss for yourself? Oh, yeah. You know, we've been doing it here for uh, years, and I, it, it really, I mean, even on myself personally, you know, I do a lot of the uh, talking to new customers that we're, uh, you know, bringing into the fold, and, and, and I love that aspect of, of, of the job. Um, but we do do win-loss interviews when we win and lose business. And we found them to be definitely fascinating. I mean, it, it's, I mean, first of all, it, 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 I believe it helps me to be a better uh, new business professional 
um, and just connect better with prospects because it's, it's, it's kind of like being in their shoes almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually found it's interesting because uh, when we do it, even in the win interviews, it's like a great way for our customers to see what they're getting. You know, so in a way, the win oh. interviews, we, we like to do the win interviews after we actually implement the program. So after we do the kickoff day and meet with everybody and kind of get things going. So we wait a little while to do a, a bids one interview where a lot of companies decide they don't want to do that. They want to do it right after the point of sale, which is fine too. But we like to collect that kind of implementation feedback. And so we found a lot of our clients will say, hey, this is actually really helping me understand what we're doing here. Uh, and I can see where you can't have the survey be too long or something like that. So they, they actually, it's a great way for our customers to learn what's actually going on with it on the win uh, side, but on the loss side, I mean, it, it really, a few things It definitely reaffirms that the feedback can sting, <laughs> you know, and, and you can <laughs> sort of can hurt a little bit and you start to see, Oh, I can see why maybe people don't want this. Um, but you, so you have to thicken your skin. Um, but I've, I've really been fascinated, uh, at reading these transcripts. I can tell you, I, I drop whatever I'm doing to read them the second that they come in. And we have a lot of clients that say the same thing, uh, because they can be tremendous, not only learning, but a coaching tool for the other folks, uh, on your team. But I think that the big thing I've learned is, um, you know, and this is where it gets challenging. We touched on this a little bit last time, depending on your mindset, um, I think we talked about that book, right? The mindset book, um, which is uh, uh, Carol Dweck, um, who had written that. Have you ever read that one? Rebecca? I have not. I have not. Yeah, I, it's it's kind of a really fascinating book that really applies to this. But in that book, she kind of talks about there's two mindsets um, in life. There's a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Now, uh, a growth mindset and and is one where you kind of uh, as a person you're very open to growth. You're open to feedback. You're open to continuous improvement. You you kind of intuitively believe that if you work harder or study or learn, uh, you can get better at something. And so essentially you can move the needle. But there's another subset of people that have what's called a fixed mindset, whereby they believe they're born with a certain amount of skills, talent, uh, energy, whatever it is, whatever family they come from, those kinds of things. And they, they tend to believe less that any, they can impact their results. So they tend to believe that they can't, if they work harder or if they study longer or if they go to the gym, they don't necessarily believe they can change the results. Mm-hmm. And so, and everybody is on a continuum of those two kind of spectrums. And you can be on a continuum in different areas of your life. You might have a fixed mindset about your job, but you might have a growth mindset about your relationships. You might have a fixed mindset about parenting uh you might have a growth mindset around uh working out uh so it can it can change and everybody's on these different spectrums when you think about companies are a big pile of people all with these different mindsets that are reacting to this feedback loop so what's fascinating about doing it internally is you you can start to see how people will read the transcript their own way based on their mindset uh you know if if someone thinks they can or can't do anything based on the feedback but also depending on their department or where they're coming at it uh you know they're they're looking at it through that lens you know for for me the biggest thing i've learned is that if you really own the feedback and take responsibility a lot of times it really can come back to sales and i'll give you an example you know sometimes we lose on price and i can tell you every time that that happens and i'm directly involved I really can relate it back to 
not understanding the prospect as well, not customizing the needs. And I can think of two or three things I could have done to have changed the conversation or changed the model and so forth. So the biggest thing I've learned over the years, and I talked a lot to sales teams, is that you know people think, oh, we lost on price. We're just too high. Um, but a lot of times that's a sales issue, uh, even though the, the prospect doesn't know it. Uh, many times it's a lack of understanding what the prospect was looking for. Does that make sense? I don't know if I articulated it well enough. No, I think that makes complete sense that, that uh, at the, you know, at the dashboard level, it would say price, but when you really look mm-hmm. at it and you've been on it, you go, no, what it was is that I didn't understand the problem and the value and their focus. And that just, you yeah. know, you're not going to win them all period, but you start to put that in context. And the next time you come up in a deal, you have a more self-awareness about the opportunities for that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really about self-awareness and it's a great tool for that. Uh, but again, you know, win losses can be a tool for dozens and dozens of people, especially the sales team as well. And everybody has a different kind of propensity to accept or be self-aware or even look for feedback. So that's where it gets tricky. And that's kind of getting back to our central point of earlier. It's like, don't go it alone. You know, I call it the lone wolf's, uh, strategy where, you know, if, if, if we're working with a client and we only know one or two people, that's not good. You know, uh, the, the data has to get to more people than that. And so we're, we're constantly trying to broaden the audience uh, for win-loss so that we can make it successful for our clients, not just for us. So we talked a little bit about when you know it's successful, you tend to see it in the, in the sales and revenue results. What other signs um, do you guys see in your clients and in yourselves that you're running a successful win-loss program? Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing when we know it's successful is it keeps going, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, and that's not just uh, for us. It's, you know, we've got some clients that we've been had programs in place for for 15 years. You know, we still have many of our first clients today. Um, and so we know that's successful because obviously people's actions speak louder than their words. If they continue to invest in the feedback loop and, and act on it, uh, you know, it's successful. Um, and so I think that the, the, the biggest thing that's showing it, we talked about this last, like going to the gym, you know, you can't go to the gym for a few months and expect to be in shape the rest of your life. What, what makes you successful is going constantly going some days you don't want to do it, but you go anyway. And over time you're healthier, you know, when you slip and fall, you don't get hurt as badly. You know what I mean? When you're going upstairs, you're not huffing and puffing as much. So it's, it's all of those things that uh, that consistency over time is the biggest way uh, that you know it's successful. I mean, two is is that it's it's uh, that information sharing internally. It's very rare that a program runs a long time unless there's 25, 30 people that know what's going on and use the data. Um, so uh, you know it's successful when a lot of different areas of the company are interfacing with it and sharing back to you how valuable it is. And they're talking about it. Um, And then also, you know, that whole process drives sharper decision-making and you can start to see that in the graphs and the analysis over time, which is another thing that's I think so important about reporting is really what you want to be doing is coming back every six months or every year and saying, Hey, the data changed. We're seeing this less as a weakness or this is more as a strength. And then the client is telling you, yeah, that's because we got the feedback and we changed X, Y, and Z. And that's really validated, you know, and that's where are probably the best moments of win-loss. I've done a lot of win-loss presenting. It's always great when our clients tell us, hey, we changed something. And 
and we're winning more, we're doing better, we're seeing this issue less because of those changes that we made. That's the highest art form of win-loss, and that's when it becomes super successful. And again, that's when you're way past the pilot program at that point. Awesome. All right, we have talked about all kinds of things today, Rich. But if you were to have picked two things that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would that be? I think the, the biggest thing which we really hit home is broaden the audience. You know, don't, don't go it alone. Don't keep the data in the drawer. Work hard to uh, meet with sales leadership, meet with sales ops, meet with sales enablement, your CMO, your head of the business. Broaden the win-loss audience. And by the way, it's not just to make the win-loss program successful, but I always tell folks, this is going to make you personally more successful because if you're in a company and you're a product marketer, um, win-loss is a great way to expand your personal brand uh, and make you look better in the eyes of your, uh, you know, your, your leadership team, uh, people above you, people below you, uh, people uh, uh, lateral to you. Win-loss is a great way to elevate your value to the company as being the person who collects this data and shares it and discusses it. And again, you're not rubbing your nose in anything, but if you can become the person that owns this data, but uses it away as a way to connect with other leadership, um, that's great for you personal. Uh, and it's obviously great for the, the win-loss research uh, as well as the vendors. So I guess the first thing is, you know, don't go it alone, broaden the audience. And, and two, I think it's, it's really about, uh, uh, you know, about using the data and making it actionable. Um, you should be using your vendor to collect the data and get you the insights and the reporting and the dashboard. But I think instead of, uh, you know, after you've broadened the audience, you know, really making sure that people are, are making decisions off it. And again, it's, we said there's no shortcuts. It's impossible to make better decisions if you don't have a broad audience and you're holding it in, in the drawer on your own. Um, so I think that's really key too. Another thing is turnover as well. You know, so many times we see at a client, people turn over. And, you know, you've only got one owner or two owners of win-loss and other people don't really know what's going on. Well, that's going to that's gonna set the win-loss program back, you know, a long time because it can take a while for that role to get filled. So you need to have other people that see the value. You need to find the champions in the company uh, that are, are going to be using the data. So those are just a couple of ideas. Awesome. All right. Anything else you want to add for our listeners, Rich? No, I think uh, I just want to say so much again, Rebecca, thank you for having me on the show. Um, you're, you're my favorite podcast. So I return the, uh, the, the favoritism and I, enjoy, I always enjoy talking to you about one of, one of my favorite subjects. I think it's one of yours too. And, and I wish everybody a happy new year and I thank everyone for listening. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Rich, for joining us. It's a pleasure as always. And I did want to let everyone know if they want to learn more about Rich and the great work of his company that they should visit theanovagroup.com. That's the Anova, A-N-O-V-A group.com. They have great resources there as well. And uh, that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.